All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 19 through 24. But we're not going to read those verses yet. But just go ahead and turn there, and you want to keep your place. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the blessings you've given. We're thankful for um, your word. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for the spirit of love and unity that you placed here within us. God, I pray that you'd help us to be the church that you want us to be. Help us to grow in that unity, to grow in love. Lord, if there's ever anything that has come between us and another church member, um, Lord, that you would not allow Satan to, to get in and tear those things up. But, Lord, as we learn through the book of Ephesians, uh, help us to be forgiving and tenderhearted towards one another, even as you, for Christ's sake, have forgiven us. God, we're so thankful for grace. We're thankful for your mercy. And for the book of Ephesians that's taught us so much about what it means to be a Christian and means to be a part of a church and how to live out what we know. We're so thankful for, um, for Christ, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight we're looking at some closing thoughts, and uh, we're concluding Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, we've taken our time to study each chapter and verse, um, and we found that this book reveals to us a deeper understanding of who we are, of what our purpose is, and of course, how to fulfill that purpose. Now, to some of you, you may not realize this, but it's been over a year that we've been studying uh, the book of Ephesians. Some of you may say, yes, it feels exactly like over a year that we've been studying the book of Ephesians. But nevertheless, here we are. We started in January of 2015, and it's now the first Sunday in April of 2016. And uh, this is our last message in the book of Ephesians, so we'll be closing it up tonight. Now, what I want to do tonight is we are, uh, the title of the message is just Closing Thoughts. And that's exactly what I want to do. I want to present some closing thoughts to you from the book of Ephesians. And we're just going to kind of go back and do a review, as well as we can, of the whole book. And so I want us to, if you will, just keep your place there in chapter 6, or or just flip on back to chapter 1, if you will. And uh, we're just going to look systematically all the way through uh, the book at the different truths that we have learned about uh, while we've studied the book of Ephesians. Now, in chapter 1, we found that we are chosen, adopted, and predestinated. Now, again, these words do refer to us as redeemed people. As a child of God, when I became a child of God, I became chosen, I became adopted, And I became predestined. All right? Now, as we learned, the emphasis on these words is not on how we became saved, but what our purpose is as children of God. As a believer in Christ, I am chosen, not above someone else to be saved, but I am chosen to be holy and blameless before Him. I want you to look at chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that what? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is about who I'm supposed to be as a child of God. It's about God's intentions for me once I was saved. He has chosen 
before the foundation of the world that his people will be conformed into the holy and blameless image of Christ. Not how I got in, but what I'm supposed to be. Not only am I chosen, but I am adopted. I want you to look in chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now again, this word adopt does not denote how I entered the family of God. Please understand, I was not adopted into the family. I was born into the family. I was one thing, and now I'm something else. I have a new nature, I have a new name, I have a new life, I have a new purpose. I was born again. I was born into this family. But you see, the word adoption, when it says that I'm adopted, it's not that I'm some adopted stepchild of God. But what it means is, is that what he did is he skipped an entire process that usually would have taken place with a son. Now, the word adoption has to do with this. If you remember, in the story of the prodigal son, there was a young man who went to his father, and he went to him early. And he said, Father, give me the, uh, the inheritance that's mine, that belongs to me. Now, he wasn't yet at the age where he should have rightfully and legally received that inheritance. So what he did as a teenager, he was, he was done with dad's rules, and he goes to dad and he says, Father, go ahead and give me the inheritance that I am waiting to receive. And so his father does. He goes and he wastes all of it, you know. But what had happened there is he, he went before the appointed time, and he received that early inheritance. You see, there is a certain time in a son's life, in those days, in biblical times, there was a certain time that these children were waiting on, this son would have been waiting on, and at a certain age, at an appointed time, he would receive the inheritance that his father had to give him. Now in our day, that time is usually at the death of the father, but in those days it wasn't at the death. There would just be a certain age, and the father would just grant everything that he had over to his children, and then of course they took care of him with, uh, with his stuff for the rest of his life, is, is really how that worked out. What God did for us, though, is He bypassed every bit of that. You see, at the moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I became born into the family of God. I was born of the Spirit. There was a spiritual birth that took place. But what God did is He bypassed all the waiting. And as a child of God, He adopted me. He gave me an adoption status... And the word adoption there, it's it's kind of strange for us. But what it means is that I don't have to wait. Right now, I am legally able to both receive and use all of the Father's blessings that He has in store for me. So I don't have to wait until I get to heaven. I don't have to wait until a certain point to receive the inheritance. He has made it fully accessible to me right now. It is legally, I am legally able to go and use the spiritual gifts that he has given. 
Now, that is found in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, which verse, uh, if you've gone through this, this uh, book with us, you should know very well. But he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What this tells me is that I have an inheritance in Christ. What verse 5 tells me is that I get to access it right now. That's what it means to be adopted. Not how I got into the family of God, but what I get to do with the resources of God. Not only this, but I am predestinated. If you look in chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In whom we have also obtained an inheritance. Look at that word. We, we, we obtained and received an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His own will. God has predetermined that as a child of God, I would be displayed as a trophy of His glory and grace. Now, many people think that predestined means that God selected me over others. That God looked among the masses and He said, I'm not going to save Him, but I am going to save Him. This verse doesn't say that at all. But my understanding of this passage is that He has put me on display... So that if anyone thinks that their sin is greater than God's grace, all he has to do is point at Anthony Phillips and say, no, it's not. Look at verse 12. It says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I want you to catch something. If you didn't the first time we, we went around this. He says, in whom we have also obtained an inheritance... Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him. Now, let's just stop reading right there. Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, those other words are important. But we can take those out and and the sentence still makes sense. That we are predestined not to be saved over someone else, but we are predestined as children of God to be to the praise of His glory. Now the best way that I can explain what this means is, again, if anyone says, I'm too sinful to be saved. God's grace is big, but my sin is bigger. All He has to do is point over at me and say, I saved Him. So if I can save Anthony Phillips, I can save anybody. I am a trophy. I've been set on display as a trophy of how big and how glorious and how marvelous, how amazing God's grace is. Because I'm going to tell you something. If God can save me, He can save anybody. Guess what? You've been put on display as well. And God wants everyone around you to know how big His grace is. And if anybody ever tells you, I'm just too sinful, I'm just too far gone, all you have to say is, no, you're not. He saved me. I promise you, if He can save me, He can save you. You've been put on display as a trophy of His grace. In chapter 2, if you want to flip over there, Paul reminds us, of what we were before Christ. We were spiritually dead and doomed for destruction. If you look at verses 1 through 5, it says, And you has he quickened, it means to make alive. 
You as he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation or lifestyle in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Listen, I was lost. I was dead in my sin and trespasses. I had no way to heaven. I was set on a course straight for hell. And there was somebody hit the cruise control and I couldn't turn it off. There was nothing I could do to get out of it. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see I was dead. But now I'm made alive through Christ. That's only God's grace that could do that. In God's magnificent grace and love, He saved us. If you look at verse 8 through 10, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. By the way, let me make another connection here for you. We have another word that, that says before ordained. And the before ordained means the same thing here as it meant in chapter 1. We were before ordained that after we have been saved by grace through faith, that we should walk in good works. It's not how we got to faith, but it's the purpose that we have in life after our faith in Christ. Amen. Now, as we move on through the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, if then, whether we are Jew or Gentile, if we all have the same origins, if we were all in sin and trespasses, and if we were all saved by the same grace, then there should be unity in the body of Christ. I don't, it doesn't matter whether or not you were Gentile or whether or not you're Jewish, whether you're one race or another race, whether you're from one class or another class, regardless of where you come from, what your history is, what your genealogy is, none of that matters because at the foot of the cross, the ground is even. We all stand on even ground and we all come up short. And so if we all have the same beginning in sin, if we are all saved by the same grace, through Christ, not of our good works, but by His grace He saved us. And listen, there needs to be unity in the church. Amen. Not one of us is greater than another. Not one of us has more say than another. Just because one is rich and one may be poor, the rich one doesn't get more of a vote or doesn't have more importance in the church than the one who's in poverty. Amen. Right. We are all equal. We were 
lost on the same ground, we're all saved on the same ground. And we together are built into one spiritual temple of God. If you look at chapter 2 and skip on down with me, the verses 19 through 22, it says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but look at this, you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. In chapter 3, Paul reveals to us a mystery that has been hidden through the ages. The mystery is this, that Gentiles should become partakers of the promises. Now, if you look at chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, uh, to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore a few words, whereby when you read, you understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, all those, all those verses there say, I have a mystery that God wants me to reveal to you. And here's the mystery, verse 6, the mystery is this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Amen. Again, this talks about the unity that's to take place in the church. That one is not greater than another. Listen, I, I love those people who are of the Jewish faith. I love the nation of Israel. I love the people of Israel. And I think that the people of Israel, when they come to faith in Christ, I think it's so wonderful to see them come to their Messiah, you know, in faith. And I'd love to see them saved, but I'm going to tell you this. Yes, they are the chosen nation of God. And yes, they are the people of God. And God has some wonderful things in store for the nation of Israel. But if a Jewish person got saved and walked into the church full of us Gentiles, he's not at an elevated status. Nor if we were a church full of Jewish people and a Gentile saved person walk in, is he of any lower status? And that's really what was going on at the church at Ephesus. There were some that felt that because they were Jewish, because they were, number one, God's chosen nation, and number two, now we're saved people of God, that they, they felt they were at a higher status than the rest of the people around them. Paul said, no, you are fellow citizens. You, you're wearing the same hat, the same jersey everybody else is. And so together as one man, as one body, and as one church, we are to bring glory to the Father through the Son. If you look at chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. In chapter 4, Paul urges us to begin putting what we know into action. In other words, if we know that we're redeemed, if we know that we're equal, if we know that we are to work and function in unity, then do it. Let's do that. 
Find your place in the church and utilize the gifts that God has given you to build up the church in which he has placed you. And let me say this. God, you are not in this church by accident. You're not in this church by accident. You're not in this church because there was no other church to go to. You are in this church because God has placed you here by His Spirit. And if God has placed you in this church by His Spirit, that means that He has a purpose and a reason for your being here. I read about... Yeah, I love to to read success stories. I read about churches who do all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, one of the coolest ideas that I ever saw, and it, it wasn't an idea. I think this was led of God. But there were a lot of mechanics in one church. And they also noticed that there were a lot of uh, single moms in the church. And so once a month, what this church decided to do is they got all the mechanics, came up to the parking lot of the church, and all the single moms, I don't know if it was once a month or once so ever so often, but all the single mothers would come up to the church and the men would change the oil and rotate the tires and, you know, and, and look at the car and fix any problems that were wrong with it. It was a great, I, I just thought that was a great ministry. But you know, God may not want us to have a mechanic ministry here at this church. He definitely hasn't blessed you with a pastor that knows anything about mechanics. But God has put you here for a reason. And God wants to use your talents. He wants to use your experiences, your skills. And He wants to use your willingness through the empowerment of His Holy Spirit to reach a community around you that doesn't know Christ. And if he's put you in this church, you're here for a reason. Find that reason. Find how God is working in your life. Find how he's gifted you. And be waiting and listening and watching for how God may see. Right there. Jump in right there and start working. And then you use the gifts that God has given you. Use how he has molded you. And how he's going to mold you. To edify and build up this church. That's why you're here. You're not here because we needed warmer pews. You're here because God is not done with you. And He wants to use you. So find out where that is. Jump in. Get busy. I love people who are willing to, to work and willing to, uh, to use the gifts that God has given them for His honor and glory. He further urges the church to flee temptation, to grow in the spirit and the knowledge of Christ. And we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. In chapter 5, Paul focuses on relationships. First, we're to focus on a relationship with God. That's all down through chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. He talks about the relationships of marriage in verses 22 through 23, or 33, excuse me. And then in those same verses, he talks about the relationship between Christ and the church. And if you look at chapter 5 with me. On down to verse 32. Uh, this is just after he talks about marriage. But he says, uh, let's, sorry, verse 32, it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And in verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In chapter 6, Paul continues with the relationships between children and parents in verses 1 through 4. And then he talks about the servants and masters and their relationships in verses 5 through 9. 
And then he finishes the book with an admonition to stand in the strength and the armor of God as we wage against the forces of spiritual wickedness. And last of all, we are to engage in the power of prayer both for ourselves and others. And I want you to look in chapter 6 with me in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, and that you also may know the affairs and how I do. Tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord shall make known unto you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace unto the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The book of Ephesians leaves us then with the challenge not only to believe what we've been taught. And we mentioned that the first three chapters are all doctrine. The last three chapters are all application. But not only to believe what we've been taught, but to put those truths into action. And if there is any sin, if there is any disunity, if there is anything lacking in the church, any defeat in spiritual warfare, then we are to approach it in the spirit and the power and the unity of Christ. Listen, there's nothing going on that we can't tackle as a church. There's no problem that we can't forgive. There's no issue between a brother and sister in Christ that we can't reconcile. There's no weakness that we can't strengthen. And there's no limit to how far we can reach with the gospel of Christ when we're unified in the Spirit. And we were accessing the power and the blessings that we have afforded to us in Christ in heavenly places. We are more than conquerors. I hope that through our study of the book of Ephesians, you've learned more about who you are. I hope you've learned more about the power and the authority that, that comes in, with Christ and, and that we have in Christ. I hope you've learned more about what God expects of our church and what our church needs to be, both within our membership and, and to the community around us. But I hope above all, God will use the Word and use the Spirit to bind us together, to unify us in purpose, give us the power to accomplish the great commission that He's delivered to us. That's my prayer for our study in Ephesians. And I look forward to where we'll be going next. But I want us to close this book in prayer. And we're just going to thank God for all that He's said and done through it. Brother Barr, would you close us in prayer, please? I want to thank you for the privilege of being here.